Hey everyone, my name is Dr. Dolores Targer. I'm a licensed psychologist here in Georgia, coming to you with your next mental health moment. And today we will be discussing, do you want to be healed? So I know that you all are probably familiar with hearing a parable about a paralyzed man at a well. He was going to the well, trying to get some assistance with his paralysis, 38 years in this journey of paralysis for this man. Um, and once a year, you get to come to this, I said well, but I, it's a pool, I suppose, would be a more accurate terminology for it. Come to this pool, you possibly get in this pool, and you'll be healed from whatever your affliction is. But given that he was paralyzed, he was unable to get into the pool. So Jesus comes and, and asks the man, do you want to be healed? And interestingly, his response wasn't yes or no. Uh, his response was, I don't have anyone to help me. And so uh, I want to thank uh, Reverend Dr. Curtis West for a Bible study in this topic that made me think about the relevance of this during Black, Indigenous, and People of Color um, Mental Health Month to discuss this topic of do I want to be healed and, and, and why sometimes we struggle with healing. So let's talk about some barriers to help seeking. Why uh, in particular do people of color have less likelihood of seeking mental health services? And there's a lot of different reasons, some of which are how we describe people who seek mental health services. Now I know if you all have looked at any of my other videos, you know that I cannot stand um, stigmatized words such as crazy or retarded. Uh, and there's no place in my mind for these words to exist and being descriptions of people, much less their behavior. But oftentimes, that's what people are told. If you go seek services, you're crazy. There's this perception that there's something wrong with you, that you're damaged in some way. Um, people will often say, you need to go take your medication or you need to go see somebody or something is wrong with you, as if to suggest that going to seek mental health treatment means one, that there has to be something so incredibly wrong with a person that um, they wouldn't able to be, they would not able to, they would not be able, <laughs> tongue tied there, uh, to function otherwise. And so that gives this negative connotation to seeking help, as if to say you have to be so bad to come and seek services, which simply is not the way that services are viewed. But I understand that if someone is telling you that, then you would be less likely to seek help. So if we look at that parable, for example, there's a word that is used in some of the translations, which is invalid. Uh, and so I took it upon myself to look up invalid. I know this sounds more like a sermon, uh, but I always tell you all that spiritual health and mental health are, are very closely connected. Um, and, and the definitions were things like a person made weak by illness or an injury, a sufferer, a victim, one interesting definition that I found was actually the removal of someone from the armed forces. So removal of, of uh, people who are injured or hurt in the military um, so that you are invalidated, for example, out of the army was another terminology for it. Some people might even say invalid, meaning that you are null and void. You are worthless, unacceptable, illegitimate. And so if you think about those words, that terminology in use of help seeking, it is absolutely understandable why people would not want to come. Um, there's this fear of being labeled. This is, there is this fear that you will be 
seen as someone who has this deficit, that you are less than, that you are weak, um, incapable of taking care of yourself. Um, there are also other things that interfere with a person wanting to come to therapy, such as it being affordable. We know that some of the um, premiums that we pay for insurance policies are just astronomical. And you think about having to reach a considerably high deductible to even access quality of care services, or that your co-pays are so high and oftentimes therapy is seen as a specialty service. So the co-pays for seeking psychological services may be higher than if you were to go, for example, to your primary care physician. Those are some prohibitive things. Um, there are some insurances that don't even offer mental health coverage. So you have insurance, but you don't actually have mental health coverage in your insurance, which could be prohibitive. Now, we know uh, that there are oftentimes negative experiences with providers, and that is something that we cannot deny. You go into the office of a provider, and maybe you don't have a good interaction with the staff that's helping you to get checked in for your appointment. Uh, maybe the office or location of those services in order for you to be able to qualify for them and afford them is not in a place where you would feel safe. You may have gotten into that provider's office and feel like um, you weren't in there very long. They weren't attentive to you. They were typing while they were talking to you. Um, they weren't looking at you. They had their back turned to you. Um, you may have felt that you were judged based on your experiences or that your experiences weren't validated, uh, particularly when it comes to um, our people of color and feeling like I'm talking to a therapist and I'm having to explain more and provide more education to this therapist who doesn't necessarily understand my experience. Um, there is also that invalidating piece of racial trauma and what comes along with that and, and oftentimes people being dismissive of that. And we know that people bring their stereotypes and biases into a room when they come. Uh, and I will not tell you that just because a person is a licensed provider means they're a good licensed provider. And I also won't tell you that just because they're a licensed provider means they are the best fit for you as a provider. Um, there are also negative experiences such as we know in healthcare in general. We have had a lot of um, negative experiences with providers. The Tuskegee experiment will forever scar us with um, respect to trusting people and trusting that they're giving us uh, what they actually say they're giving us, um, that you're treating me for syphilis when you really weren't actually treating me for syphilis, or in fact, I didn't even have syphilis and you exposed me to it. Right? So this, this, this makes us really uncomfortable. We also know that psychology has, has been a field that uh, you have seen research come out of that has suggested that people of color were inferior to their white counterparts. And so a lot of this history, uh, and we know that these are inaccurate sciences, but that history is still there. And so we are we have a lot of concerns about going to see people. Are, am I going to be believed? Am I gonna be thought to be drug seeking? Um, if I go and I'm in pain, uh, is that going to be minimized? Am I gonna be said to be exaggerating? Am I going to receive less of the care that I would get if I, if I weren't a person of color? Um, may I even be turned away from services because I am a person of color, right? So these are all valid reasons why people of color frequently don't come to health services in general, but in particular mental health services. And so what can we do to address these? Well, I think it's really important that one, we are very mindful about how we talk about mental health services. And I'm very aware that if there's a lack of education about what mental health services often really entail. And so a lot of this stigma that people are experiencing, these negative words, the crazy, the 
um, you got a problem, something's really wrong with you, you have to be weak, are inaccurate representations of what therapy constitutes. So let me first uh, start by describing for you all that access to transportation, um, being able to get to a place is really important in terms of being able to get quality care services. One of the things that has happened with this pandemic and even before that, but more so now, is that we have telehealth services. And I know a lot of people are like, well, what does that mean? Well, that means that you can, on a video camera, see your provider, your provider can see you. Uh, so if you are in a rural area or you are in an area where there's not a lot of people that you may wanna see, you now have access to other people by virtue of these telehealth services. Or for some people that don't have internet access uh, or the ability to be able to access a device to see a person on video, you can do it over the phone. So there is that kind of reduces that problem of transportation or not having access to a qualified professional who's culturally competent. You can now get on sites such as Psychology Today and actually search what you want in a provider in terms of their ethnicity, spirituality, location, all of these dynamics, price range, and it'll pull up a list of providers that you're able to access without having to necessarily go to their office. Uh, therapyforblackgirls.com also is a, a, a service that offers um, for people who are looking for black female clinicians in a variety of areas across the United States, you can access their information on that site as well. And that's one of the things that I really encourage people to do to help eradicate this stigma and reduce these barriers is research your providers. You can get online nowadays and you can look at your provider's information if they've had research articles, if they've done conference presentations, if they do uh, community work, you're able to see what their orientation is, how they approach therapy. So you have a good understanding of who this person is even before you walk into the space. The other thing that you can do is a lot of providers will do a, a short consultation with you over the phone. So if you have some fears or concerns or you want to ask some questions to make sure this provider is a good fit for you, then you can generate a few questions, call the provider, they'll, give, uh, they'll have an opportunity to give you a call back and answer some of those questions. So you don't have to just randomly go through your insurance company and get a list of providers and you don't know who these people are, if they're going to be a good fit for you. Because oftentimes what happens is people will go, not have a great experience, not feel like it's a good connection, and then they'll just stop. And instead of finding another provider or asking their provider for assistance and finding someone who's a better fit. We are not so arrogant that we think that everybody is a good fit for us. You can come into the therapy experience and say, okay, I haven't had the best experience or I'm uncomfortable about this. And we can sit and talk with you about it and say like, hey, if this doesn't work out, if we're not a good fit, like don't just stop coming. Um, let's talk about it. If we can't resolve whatever it is, then I will help you find a provider who may be a better fit for you. So this will help with people being able to access different services as opposed to just, I had a bad experience, I'm never gonna go again. Cause I don't want you to, much like you tried foods for the first time and you're like, I don't really like that. But someone else cook it in a different way and you like it, same is true for us. And therapeutic relationships are like any other relationship, they take time to build. Um, so given an opportunity, like you can't have one session with your therapist and think like, oh, oh no, this is gonna be awful. Um, so never mind. Given an opportunity to grow, you have to develop trust in your provider because I know that's a common reason why people stop coming to services. They don't trust their provider. 
um, and your provider has to get a chance to get to know you. And those first sessions are all about getting history and information. So people think, well, nothing is happening. Well, we're still getting to know you and setting that foundation. So give it some time. I often tell people you need about four to six sessions initially to get to that relationship building and get to that place of comfort. Now, if it is just a person has just said some things that you find to be disrespectful or invalidating of who you are, then that's a totally different experience. But if it's just like, eh, I ain't really got nothing out of it just yet, um, I would encourage you, one, to also, in addition to having a conversation with your therapist up front, two, come in with a list of things you want to talk about. Oftentimes, people feel like, oh, I'm just going to sit in there and this therapist has some magical powers. They'll be able to read my mind and know exactly what I want to address in therapy. And that's not realistic. We set up treatment goals. And so there are things that we are working on in therapy. This is how we know when you've reached a point where you may not need therapy in the same way anymore. We can spread out those appointments or you may call back if something comes up. So these treatment goals guide our therapy process. You help establish that. Therapy is collaborative. So we're working together. I'm helping you be your best self, which means I need your input because you are the expert on you. And so if I don't know what's going on with you, then how am I going to be able to support you in your journey, right? So come in with your list of things that you want to address. Be prepared for therapy. Treat it as if you would treat any other meeting you were going to. If you had things you wanted to address or things you wanted to make sure that were accomplished in that meeting, same is true for therapy. If you, there are some things you want to get out of it, then you have to go in and say like, hey, here's what I want to accomplish today. Therapy is also a confidential space. And I think a lot of times people struggle with sharing information with people and wondering about if it's going to get back out in some ways. Therapy eliminates that. So what happens in therapy stays in therapy unless you are a danger to yourself or to others in cases of child abuse or, or elder abuse. Um, or if you sign a release of information for us to share records. So you can have this space to focus on you and know that you're not going to be judged for it. Uh, know that it is a safe space for you. It is wellness focused. Therapy is not deficit focused. It is wellness focused. Our journey in therapy is to get you to be your most well self, your healthiest self. Uh, and so that is actually our orientation as opposed to pathology, which a lot of people think you're going to come in and get a bunch of labels and uh, we're going to throw some pills down your throat. That's not, uh, one, psychologists don't prescribe medication, um, but two, that's not the purpose of, of therapy. We want you to be able to improve in your judgment. We want you to be able to improve in your decision making. Uh, we want to help you with goals with communication and being able to more effectively and healthy communicate, uh, healthily communicate with other people. We want you to be able to figure out why there may be things interfering with you reaching goals in your life. Do you need an accountability partner? Are your goals unrealistic? Do we need to set smaller goals and make them more manageable? So therapy really is about helping you um, establish a, a action plan for your wellness because oftentimes we are not active in our own wellness like we think we're gonna just magically wake up and be good oh, i'll be happy i put on a cute outfit and go to work and i should be fine uh, but you have to be very intentional about your self-care and your wellness you will get caught up in taking care of all the business that you have in your life your children your families your job your finances, and then you will not focus on you, and then you will end up having some problems. So therapy is also preventative. What we want to do is be able to help you not get to a point where you're having more significant problems because you are focused on your wellness and your care. 
Therapy can be short-term. You may come in and there may be a situation that occurred. It may be a grief or a loss. It may be a transition in your life. It may be a marriage. It may be a birth of a, a new child. It might be a divorce. Um, it might be some difficulty with, with your children as they're developing, right? So it, it may be a situational short-term period that you come in for therapy, or it may be a longer term. Like, hey, there's some things maybe from childhood that I need to work on or some um, characteristics that have been more persistent and have been getting in the way. So we're um, going to do a little bit more work in that. Uh, it, we are affirmative here in therapy. We want you to affirm yourself too. Um, we want to be able to help you with your self-confidence. We want you to uh, be able to express your emotions and we want you to be able to have a balanced life. Um, when you do your research, make sure your provider is a licensed provider. There are a lot of people and uh, no disrespect to, to life coaches and, and, and people who are accountability um, partners or, or, or relationship experts, but make sure your provider is an actual licensed provider and you should be able to look their license up because that gives you a little bit more security as well in terms of the quality of your care that they've had the adequate training that they'll be able to address um, areas of specialization and they'll know what their areas of specialization are so they won't be oper operating outside their scope and you won't be seeing anyone who is operating outside of their scope um, I also want to just tell you that it's really important that you're open and honest in your therapeutic relationship a lot of times people do not tell the truth when they come to therapy and like we can't do any more than with what you give us so um if if you get to a place where you allow this relationship to develop and recognize this is a safe person then part of the relationship is being authentic and transparent and when you do that you will find that your therapy experience is enhanced because you can actually get at the things that are really important uh, I will tell you that I feel like everyone should have a wellness team. Um, and to go back to that parable, all of us need to be healed. We may not know what we need to be healed from, uh, or we may know and be afraid that we can't be healed. Uh, we may be embarrassed. We may not be able to communicate it. Um, but the truth is, all of us want healing. And so I encourage you to have a wellness team. And that can include a therapist, because I think everyone should go to therapy at least once in their lives. A good primary care physician. It may include a, a nutritionist or a health coach. It might include an exercise um, or health person in your life. It may include an accountability partner for you to uh, utilize. It may include a financial planner or consultant to help you with your, your finances, that nutritionist, uh, and it, it can also include a spiritual advisor. So this again is building your wellness and that's what this process is about, is you being your best self and that is our goal so i want you to know that more often than not wellness wins so if you can have a good wellness plan in place then you're more likely to be successful okay be encouraged